Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What an amazing time of worship we've had together here today, and may it continue as we uh, gather together and spend some time in, uh, in God's Word. And so, as you can see, we have, uh, or as you may already know, we finished First John, uh, our study through the entirety of First John. Uh, last Sunday, after 19 weeks, we made our way all the way through it, and uh, there was a lot about knowing Jesus that we picked up along the way. And here we are in the middle of the summer, and one of the things that we all like to do in the summer is we like to go on little road trips. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to take a little bit of a road trip through the book of Isaiah. Now, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Isaiah, we're not going to make our way all the way through the book of Isaiah. Uh, that would take a lot longer than the a few weeks we're going to take. However, as we spend some time in the book of Isaiah, what we're going to see is we're going to catch these glimpses of glory because so much of what we need to do as believers is to capture and to see and be reminded of these wonderful displays of the glory of God. And that in so many ways, the book of Isaiah helps to direct us in that way and focus our attention upon Him. And so as we think about this and sort of getting ourselves situated and getting ready to go on this uh, summer road trip, and you think of all the things that go on along with that and all the conversations that you have along the way, all the things that you learn and all the things that you pick up that you never expected you would see, a lot of times it's on the road trips, it's those unexpected things that you remember and that just capture your attention and really capture your affection for the long term. Let me invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, uh, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can write your name in the front of it. You can take that home with you if you would like to. Uh, but you can turn with me there to the book of Isaiah right towards the middle of uh, the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we will make our way all the way through Isaiah 40, and then we'll go in several other places along the way. But read with me now, if you will, Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1 and down through verse 8. And this is what we read. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves... Coming to this text here this morning with various things in our minds, various things upon our hearts, Father, various things that are weighing heavy upon us even right now, and Father, we lay them all before you. And Father, we ask that you and your mighty mercy would bring comfort and hope, and that we would, open, we would have our eyes opened to see the grandeur of your glory. 
and that our lives would find stable, secure hope in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. By Your Word and for Your glory, Father, stable and steady our hearts as we walk together in Your Word now. May we come away praising You louder than when we started because of how glorious You are. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for His glory. Amen. So as we come to this passage of Scripture, and really as we find ourselves towards the tail end of the book of Isaiah, it always helps to unpack the context. And as you might imagine, by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 40, there's quite a bit of context to unpack. And so broadly speaking, as you think about the book of Isaiah and you think about the ministry of Isaiah... He started his ministry, and you can read this along if you wanted to go back and read all the book of Isaiah. His ministry started in the year that King Uzziah died, which would be around 740 B.C. And so he served through eight years of King Jotham in Judah, 16 years of King Ahaz in Judah, 29 years of Hezekiah in Judah. And while there's no biblical record of his death, the rabbinical tradition actually teaches that King Manasseh, who came after King Hezekiah, who King Manasseh at the start of his reign was truly a reign of terror. Tradition has it that he gathered up uh, Isaiah in one of his uh, immense fits of fury, put him inside of a burlap sack, as we might think of it, put him inside of a hollow tree and had him sawn in half. That's why there's a reference in Hebrews chapter 11 to being sawn in two. It's a reference to the death of the prophet Isaiah. A man who is faithful to death, faithful to warn and proclaim the hope that's found in, in ultimately in Christ, even when no one else wanted to hear it. Here he is, and as we're reading, what we're going to see is God is revealing himself through the prophet Isaiah. By the time we get here to Isaiah chapter 40, after we have read up to this point all the way through promises of the coming Messiah, and you can think of judgment upon the various nations, and you think of all the warnings and all of what's going out, By the time we get to Isaiah chapter 39, verse 6 looms large, where he says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. He's telling them, you're going into exile. This is going to happen. Hard days are around the corner. This is not going to be easy. And it's right on the heels of that, as we feel the weight of what that means. Even as we think about it within the context of where we find it ourselves, we recognize the fact that not all days are easy. And hard days may not just be around the corner, they may be upon you right now. You need to know that our God is not only a God who knows all things and controls all things, but He is the God of all comfort as well. And so that as we get into this sort of illustrative car for our road trip in the summer, and as we get ready to go on this road trip, and we get out together upon the road, may we slow down long enough to just behold the grandeur of His glory and the fact that we are to take comfort in Him. And that He reveals His glory. And so He says in verse 1, He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So that even as God's people had trusted wrongly, they had trusted in the wrong leaders, they had followed after the wrong things, even in the middle of all of that, 
Here he speaks comfort, comforting words to his people. Trust me, look to me, hope in me. And even as he repeats it in using a word that is really, you know, consoling or cheering to them as it should be. When everything is unraveling around you, remember the words of the Lord here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. His people. His people by faith. See, you shouldn't run to this text. If you're not a believer, don't assume that this is speaking of you. We are his people by faith in Jesus Christ. And that you have to make that matter clear, but you have to also see just how gloriously kind and merciful he is to not only save us, but comfort us in the midst of all of what is going on in life. That salvation is not assumed here, nor is it earned. It is only received by grace through faith in Jesus. But we must look here and see the depth of his care. Do we catch this glimpse of his glory that the God of all creation cares for us? The God who spoke all things into existence, who holds all things together. Is a God who knows about your affliction that you carried in here today and cares and speaks words of comfort in the midst of it. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so, so he's looking at his people and he's saying, look, the, the days are going to get hard, but you're mine no matter what. What a comfort that is, isn't it? We can't lose him, and he will not forget us. And even the word that he uses here for God, Elohim, is a reminder not only of the specific God to whom we are referring, but a name which is a reminder of his supremacy in all things. Remember who's speaking here when he says in verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This whole notion of speaking tenderly, of speaking to the heart. And you think of times in life where you've learned the sort of life lessons, where you learn in just time spent together. This is what God is doing. And that we're listening to what God has to say. And as he speaks to Jerusalem, which as you think of Judah, particularly at this time in history, Jerusalem is the centerpiece. As went Jerusalem, so went Judah. It's a picture, and it's really a sort of snapshot, and a word that's being used to summarize all of the people who are believing, who are following the Lord here. Speak tenderly to them and cry to her. What are we saying? That our warfare is ended. Now, it's interesting even reading this, because... We won't go too far down the grammar road, but as you look at this and you think of the different tenses that are used, what's being used here is is a way of talking about something in the future and reference to God in a way that it's described as as good as already done. It's completed action in the future. So it's saying God is so faithful to His promise that this is going to happen and there is absolutely no doubt about it that her warfare is ended. Now, he's telling these people in the midst of 
on the heels of saying, you're about to go into exile. But fix your eyes upon me. Because there's coming a day when your days of duress come to an end. And that as he leads us through these times of exile and these hard roads, through testing, he's leading us ever closer to himself with a reminder that he has won. And this ultimately, as we would understand it rightly, looks forward to Jesus, who's even described in Colossians as having disarmed the authorities and rulers. In his death and resurrection, he has displayed that warfare in this way is ended. Battles still take place, but the war is already won. Now, doesn't that change, doesn't that change the way in which we should respond to the things that are around us? Because a wartime lifestyle is one thing. And some of you have lived through wartime lifestyles where everything is sort of trimmed off around the corner and all you're trying to do is just make it through another day, make it through another day, try to survive for a little while longer until the victory is won. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the victory is won. So this looks forward to what we already enjoy in Christ. Catch the glimpse of this glory. Warfare is ended. Iniquity is pardoned. And that iniquity is not pardoned so that you can go about and just keep doing it. Iniquity is pardoned because God is gracious and He knows that we all have a sin problem. We are guilty. We are deserving of punishment. We need forgiveness. And so God pardons on the basis of His own structure. He knew we needed an atoning sacrifice that would last longer than the sacrifices that were taking place in the temple. The one who is referred to in Isaiah chapter 53 as the suffering servant, by whose stripes we are healed. The one who died on the cross for our sin, bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, that all who believe in him have forgiveness and everlasting life. It is in Christ that our iniquity is pardoned. And like, like a doctor dealing with the root cause of our problem, here he is dealing with the root cause of all of our issues in it, pardoning our iniquity through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You remember where you find that verse? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. that our warfare is ended, that our iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, one way in which we could understand this is that God is always gracious, right? And His grace is more than sufficient. There's plentiful redemption, as you might describe it, in Christ. And that is true. But when you get into the sort of the root words of the Hebrew text here, what's being described is you, you could take something and if you take a piece of paper and you fold it in half, right, it is completely covering what's below it. That's the picture that's being described here in doubling something. The word is used repeatedly in the terms of folding garments. That for every iniquity that is committed, there's a, a pardon of grace for that specifically. Now, isn't that amazing to think about that? The sufficiency of Jesus Christ in His atoning work, the sufficiency of His grace to redeem us and comfort us and save us and sanctify us. 
As we think about the individual messes of our own sin, behold the grandeur of his glory. He is always more than enough, and he is always specifically sufficient for whatever you got going on. We haven't even made it out of the driveway yet, and look at what we're already seeing. This is quite a road trip we're on, isn't it? He's amazing, isn't he? And it's like the more you look and the more you listen, the more you learn and the more you see, the bigger and better it just gets. And then as you read in verse 3, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And maybe you're reading this and you're like, man, this sounds really familiar. And it should. Because this is quoted in all four Gospels in direct relation to John the Baptist and his ministry. It is specifically stated in relation to John the Baptist and his ministry. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Notice here, even as we read this description, this one that's crying out, preparing the way of who? The Lord. God himself. So we're seeing even here in Isaiah, this connection between our understanding of who the Messiah is and God himself. And that only Jesus could have fulfilled this. Who is God in the flesh? And so here he is, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It, it paints the picture that was common in the ancient Near East of the herald that would go before a soon-coming king who would go and remove all of the impediments and go to all the different places and say, prepare yourself because he's coming. He's going to arrive soon. We need to clear the path and clear the way. And so as we think about removing the impediments, removing the hindrances, this is specifically fulfilled in John the Baptist, but that helps us understand this even more. Because it's not as though John the Baptist was out there with orange cones and a DOT truck clearing roads, right? There were no flashing lights above him being like, you got a detour over here. No. What were the hindrances that he was dealing with? What were the valleys and the hills that were going on? There were issues of the heart, were they not? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance is what he said. Repent and trust the one who's coming. Sin issues. Self-righteousness issues. It's the same preparation that's still needed now, isn't it? Prepare the way. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground level, the rough places, the plain. And as you think about this, and as you think about this in a way in which we would understand it spiritually, and rightly so, those who are walking in these valleyed places, where it's so grim, and it's so dark, and it's so dreary, you're broken over the weight of your own sin. 
It's just weighing you down and all it is is you're just bogged down and all you see is just darkness in front of you and it just feels like it's getting deeper and deeper and it's just the weight of your own guilt and you don't know what to do and it feels like there's no getting out. Listen as the valley is lifted up and you're led to the one who redeems the broken. Every mountain and hill is brought low. So many exalted in their own self-righteousness. I'm too good for this. I don't need the gospel. I don't need the Son of God to die on the cross for my sin. I don't need any of that. Those need to be humbled before the Lord. These uneven places, uneven ground shall become level. The crooked places, deceitful places, places where things are not as they appear to be. Where it looks like you got it all figured out and in actual fact you have nothing figured out. At least not in relation to him. Or those rough places where it's rugged and it's impassable. And it's just those times where you're looking at it. There's no way. Listen. Comfort. My people, says your God. The mountains of sin and self-righteousness. The hills of arrogance. The valleys of affliction. All those places that seem so impassable. Take comfort in the glory of the Lord revealed. He's sufficient to deal with every one of those things and more. In your life specifically. Behold Him in all of His glory. Look to Him. Look to Jesus. Take refuge in Him. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus crucified and resurrected. And notice as the way is prepared, look at what he says in verse 5, and the, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, you look across history and you see this fulfilled, the glory of the Lord, God himself, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So that as John the Baptist is preaching, repent. And then Jesus walks by. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who is revealing the Father to us in John chapter 1 verse 18. The one who is full of grace and truth, John chapter 1 verse 14. And you think of all the ways in which his glory is revealed. You think about all the interactions that we know of from the Gospels and the amazing wonder of how how he was with the woman at the well. How he was with the demoniac, not only redeeming him and rescuing him, but then sending him back as a missionary to go testify, go tell everyone what the Lord has done in your life. Think about all all the lepers and and the people crying out for Jesus' attention that even when his disciples were like, you guys need to be quiet, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, no, you guys need to be quiet. I'm going over there. That's how our Jesus is. Isn't that amazing? Talk about glory revealed. You think about the way he was with Matthew, calling him to himself, or Zacchaeus. You think about his attributes and his grace and his love. But you can even think about his omniscience, where he's answering the questions that people have in their own hearts against him out loud. So that you know that the the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. They had had that internal conversation in their own heads when he answered that. He looks at the man, the paralyzed man, and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. 
glory of the Lord revealed for sure. And you think of his baptism and the testimony of the Trinity within the baptism. You think of the transfiguration and the Heavenly Father speaking there. You think of the crucifixion where there he is, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, the suffering servant dying in our place. You think of the glory of the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen. And then you think of the ascension. He has ascended into heaven and is enthroned in glory right now. Look at our Jesus. Behold him. The glory revealed. And take comfort in him. And be amazed that God did exactly what he said he would. We're reading this in the book of Isaiah. Hundreds of years ahead of time. All flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jew and Gentile alike. It's meant for all the peoples. We all need the light of the gospel. We all need to have our eyes opened. We are all accountable before him. And one day, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Better to bow in humility now and trust Him by faith than to be humbled later in death and face the consequences for your own unbelief. Take comfort. The glory of the Lord is revealed. And just like with all road trips, we need directions. How are we going to fix our eyes on the one whom we must fix our eyes upon? How are we going to make sure that this, is, that this is the way in which we are to walk? How is it that we're going to make sure that we navigate through all these areas in a way in which we are headed in the right direction? How are we going to do that? God took care of that too. That not only can we take comfort in the fact that the glory of the Lord is revealed, but we know that because we can take comfort in the fact that the word of God stands forever. He says in verse 6 here, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And all flesh is grass and its beauty. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. And not cry in the sense of weepy cry, but cry in the sense of proclaim, of calling out. And that God is being absolutely clear and very specific that these are not the ideas of Isaiah. This is God's word. And we have to see that because substance matters. Content matters. You can get all the externals right, but if you get the internals wrong, you are wrong. We don't like it when, you know, you, you buy some product and maybe you bought some product because the packaging was good. Right? Maybe you don't want to admit that. But you were like, man, this looks amazing. I'm going to see it. Maybe some slick salesman sold it to you on QVC back in the day. I don't know. And you were watching all those things, and you were like, this has got to be good. I mean, look at the box, right? And then you open the box, and you're like, this is garbage. Try to use it once, and three minutes into it, it's already broken, and it's in the trash. Some food is like that. Looks amazing. 
looks like it's going to satisfy. And you take one bite, not only do you sort of sneer up your face, but it doesn't satisfy at all. See, here we are as a church, as individuals. We can have all the bells and whistles and all the methods, but without the right content, it is an absolute failure. You see, we're not going to navigate this road of life, as we might describe it, by our own ideas. Even worse, by our own sense of direction. Now, I know some, some people swear that they can navigate by their own sense of direction and everything. But usually you get in the car with them and five minutes later it's like, well, maybe I was wrong about this. I took three turns over here and I need to go back this way. Like, oh, really? But see, that's how we think we, we ought to do with our own lives. Like, I'm just going to navigate with my, I've got things figured out. I'm pretty good. You know, lick your finger and stick it up in the air. And I can figure out where the sun is so I can get to my destination. No, you can't. We need help. We need directions that are not sourced in us. We need instruction that we do not naturally have. We need to come to grips with reality as the text makes clear. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. It is fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. We need to be honest about our own human frailty. Now, isn't it interesting the degrees of denial that we will go through to deny this? You, I mean, we, we will be, and I'm as bad as anybody. I mean, Meredith has, has often joked that I'm just going to have, I'm good, etched on my tombstone. <laughs> Wincing in pain, right? You got that look on your face, and you're like, you look like you're about to die. You're like, I'm good. I got it. What is that ultimately expression of? Pride. We need to admit our own frailty. I can't do that. That's a hard sentence to say out loud, isn't it? I can't save myself, but in admitting that, you're opened up to the world of His glory and grace. We don't need to be downright delusional. We need to admit reality and stop wasting time denying it. All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. It is fading. It is perishing. The goodness and beauty of it is not lasting. It's like buying flowers, right? They're be beautiful the first day. The second day, they're looking pretty good. Day three, they're all falling apart. And if you smell the water, you're going to throw them out anyway. Life is so fleeting, it's like a vapor. Are you wasting it? Are you listening to the wrong voices? I mean, we don't like, in any other circumstance, we don't like the idea of people wasting resources, wasting what God has given them, wasting what God has given us. But are we guilty of doing that with our own lives? Are you more invested in what you know that you will lose than you are in knowing he who will never lose you? You see, human frailty is designed by God to point us to our need for living hope. It is appointed a man once to die and then comes judgment. And the judgment is solely on the basis of, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? 
Don't flitter about trying to deny your own frailty. Admit your frailty. And feel the joyful comfort of the Lord. We need his direction here. We need his instruction. We need his help to point us to his hope. We need the instruction that he gives, not listening to the voice that comes from within us, naturally. He says, the grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. We fade up, and no matter how many which ways you try to strap your cheeks behind your ears, you're still going to pass away. It's going to happen. We are frail. We get winded and we wipe out. We need life. And did you notice when he said that we wither and fade? He says, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. God will humble you. God will lead you through seasons of humility. We don't need to look on the hard days as though they are curses. We should look upon them oftentimes as blessings. Because it's reminding us of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's reminding us of the enduring living hope that's found in Him that's not found in anything else. All of the false hopes fall away in times of hardship, in difficulty. So the breath of the Lord is blowing away all the false hopes. And that your life will ultimately reveal the substance of who you're trusting. That when all goes wrong, who, who is it that you go to? When it's all out of sorts, who are you hoping in? When you're on the ragged, ragged edge of life, who's going to restore you? Because we can have all those trophy cases of things. Knowing good and well, one day our kids are going to look at them in a garage sale and throw them away. Our only hope is His glory. He says, the people, surely the people are grass. See, we know this, don't we? We have two cemeteries here. It's a constant reminder of that, isn't it? Reminder of the frailty of life. We have all these doctor's appointments throughout the week, all these medicines that we take on a daily basis. Maybe you've walked through the seasons of life where you, want, you can remember the days when you looked at your dad as a superhero and you looked at your mom as the, the person who was just immovably present and now you're looking at them and you're trying to care for them and their frailty. They can't hold it together and you don't know what you're going to do. In those moments, as we admit reality, and we come to grips with the chronological scarcity of this life. We come to the reality we need Jesus. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way to see what matters the only way for us to navigate this with any sense of understanding is we need him to tell us. And he has. Amen. Verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Nothing stays the same. The color ultimately fades. All these things that we have, we feel the weight of their frailty as well because they break all the time. We look into our own issues with our own bodies and we feel the weight of that frailty. We look at the spiritual reality at work in the lives of people. We admit that reality. The grass withers, the flower fades. And so if we just stand and look in the mirror, we will be despondent and broken and hopeless. But if we lift our eyes and look and behold the grandeur of His glory and listen to what He has to say, the Word of our God will stand forever. It's not the sound of our own voice. It's His voice that we need. His Word that reminds us we are made in His image. And yes, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned. We have transgressed His law, and we are guilty of it. We need Him. We need to come to grips with the reality of our own sin, our inability to save ourselves, and the accountability that we have. And so we have the gospel. The gospel that stands forever, that God in His grace and in His love sent His Son in the flesh, fully God, fully man, who was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross, died in our place, rose from the dead, that all who believe in Him are not only forgiven, but clothed in His perfect righteousness. He's mighty to save and mighty to redeem and mighty to reconcile, and His Word stands forever. All these trends come and go. Some of y'all can remember coming in here with all sorts of hairstyles that you just blush to even think of. You can look back in old church directories and you can see all these pictures and you're like, I cannot believe that ever actually happened. Maybe you got a closet full of it and you're still waiting for the leisure suit to come back. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. We've lived and seen all these things come and go. There's only one who's lasting. Who are you listening to? Because when you admit your frailty, and you bow in humility, and you stop trying to convince yourself of what you know is not true, and you listen, Listen to his word. You hear of such love, steadfast love that endures forever. Such grace that saves us even though we didn't deserve it and then sustains us. It leads us all the way to himself. Of his righteousness, of his life of His joy, of His peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus even when we have no idea how bad it's going to be right around the corner. And you build your life on what matters, what you know is going to last forever. You say, okay, well, let's start with salvation. Go to Jesus. When you go to Jesus for salvation, then you start looking at the other areas of your life. How, how is my marriage going to sustain Jesus? How am I going to make it as a parent, Jesus? How am I going to make it through singleness to the glory of God, Jesus? How could I possibly walk in holiness, Jesus? How am I going to see the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as, as Lord, Jesus? 
knowing him through his word, how he has revealed himself so that when everything else crumbles and falls and the dust settles, his word stands forever. It's exactly what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Build your life on his word that endures forever. And take comfort. God has provided hope amid all of what is fleeting in this world. What a road trip we're on so far. But don't merely be unnerved by reality here. The point of the text is that you take comfort in the Lord. Be unnerved to the degree that it leads you to Jesus. To admit, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I need the only Savior who can save. And his name is Jesus. I need he who died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I need forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Go to Jesus and find the comfort you need. For every believer who's here, walking through difficult days, maybe there's things around the corner you don't even know are around the corner. Lean in, draw near, behold the glory revealed, and listen to the word that stands forever. However the Spirit leads in your heart and life this morning, I invite you to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we pray that in this moment, as we know that you are the God of all comfort, We pray that you would display that right now. For the person who's here who is just beleaguered under the weight of their own sin, Father, we pray that you would save them. That they would know the freedom of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ today. Would cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And would leave this place justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, for all of us here who are believers, thank you for the reminders of your glory. Thank you for the reminders of your promise. Thank you for how faithful you are to your word. And Father, thank you that your word endures forever. Increase our desire to hear you by your own word. And Father, do a mighty work of your comfort in our lives today. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen.